Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. I'm Chris Lucian, and my co-host is Austin Chadwick. And today we have Vitaly Sharovatov. And uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about managerial aspects of pairing and mob programming, uh, the uh, epistemological and pedagogical aspect of mob programming and ethics and management and engineering. And so, uh, but before we get to that, uh, Vitaly, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and what you got, how, what got you into mob programming? Hi folks. Thanks for inviting me. So yeah, I'm Vitaly. I'm 38 now. And out of these 38 years, I've been doing it for 22 years already. I've started as a system administrator, then went to JavaScript development and done that for 13 years. And then I grew to engineering management position, started coaching other engineering managers too, started working with processes and teams and helping companies do the same as well. So uh, understanding the limitations of group work that we mistakenly usually call as teamwork, I figured out first to try pair programming in my teams and myself too, and then went to mob programming and mob learning, which is a very interesting concept as well. So that's something I want to discuss today too. All right. Well, uh, yeah, let's let's kick it off uh, the with the managerial aspects of mob mobbing yeah. and pairing. Yeah. Yeah, I've got so much to say here. Yeah, yeah. So please. First, <laughs> yeah. First, um, the the main book I always recommend every single engineering manager to read is Akov's best writings on management. Akov is the best systems thinker. I've ever ever seen and he I've been reading his book the third time and still I have so many insights in management so I highly recommend that and what main thing I got from his books is that we do not manage people we manage systems and the team is the smallest unit the smallest system we manage and his definition of a system is that a system is not a sum of its parts but is the product of the interactions of those parts. And he says that within systems, there are so-called emergent properties. The first emergent property of a team is that the team, if it is cross-functional, it can produce value for the client. A front-end developer or a back-end developer or a system administrator cannot single-heartedly produce uh, a value for the client, but the team can. And the production of these interactions of those people, it's actually what we value. So why do I think that mob and pair, well, mob is better, but pair is all right too, uh, is beneficial from a managerial standpoint? Well, first, because your managerial complexity, the complexity of things you do is much lower when you manage just one unit, the system, the team. You do not need to manage individual people. You don't need to have the first thing I usually hear from new joiners to engineering manager position, how do I coordinate office time or remote time of people? Well, if you have a mob team, mob, the team that is used to mob programming, they can manage their time on their own, right? You don't need even to bother thinking when Mary or Joan or whoever comes to the office or joins Slack and Zoom. You don't give any, you don't need any, any, efforts be spent on that then the next thing is prioritization and work coordination it is just gone if you have mob 
uh, programming team, team programming in mob setting, you have usually one piece flow. So you have just one task or one problem the whole team is working on. And so you just need to provide one single priority for the team. Actually, that's the definition of priority. There can be only one priority. The thing which is of utter um, value for the client to be delivered right now. So if you are an engineering manager, you can just discuss with a product manager what is our next priority. That is the problem we're going to solve. You just give it to the team. <clears throat> And they work on it. You don't need to have prioritization meetings or work coordination. You don't need to play this strange Tetris planning where you try to figure out where you're trying to figure out when the front end developer is going to finish their task so that the back end developer can integrate or vice versa. You don't need to spend any time on that at all. Uh, and that is so much waste that engineering managers usually put in their work. They are victims of their own system design where they first do this scatter and gather they distribute tasks they coordinate tasks they compose the results of those tasks and they resolve conflicts where they when people tasks not cannot be merged properly the results can be not cannot be merged properly etc so from the lean standpoint it is just waste so people invent work they need to work on <laughs> with more programming you just don't need that uh, my experience shows that for usual product development it's the easiest it's, it's the easiest way to work when you have just five or seven or ten um next problems to solve with your product manager and that's it yeah um, why why queue up every every single thing and, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and what's uh, more interesting is yeah. that i've i've seen many research uh, indicating that requirements gathered up front, they go obsolete with the rate of 2% per month. So if you have a backlog of 100 tasks, 24 out of them will go obsolete 100% pretty much across all the industry. So if you have a backlog of 100 tasks, you can just throw away 24, the, the last 24 straight away. <laughs> You won't be able to, to to do them anyway. You won't need to do them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. And I, I really um yeah, for me on uh prioritization in Kanban, it's it's almost like what's the one we're working on now? And then yep. what's the you know, some it's helpful to have the next one to three is usually what yep. I've seen that'd be really helpful. Mm -hmm. I really like what you said of um leaders or managers um of a in organization uh being victims of their own system design. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it reminds sure. me of a story I heard of a consultant went into a company and he was in, he was, the consultant was called in because they weren't having good teamwork and their mm -hmm. collaboration was poor. And so um, he, he observed them for a little bit and the uh, I think it was like uh, the CEO of the company, it wasn't a large company um, would preach to the team about collaboration but then at the end of the meeting, he had this chart where every person was rated individually how they were doing and whoever did the best would get some vacation at the end. And he was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, look at your own chart there, you know, <laughs> um, oh, that's yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> I have so much to say about this, too. Um, that's this focus on individuals is a serious dysfunction, I would even say. Uh, so, yeah, managers, usually when they focus on individual performance, they usually mm, 
produce more waste, I would say. So what happens is that when managers want to optimize individual performance, they start naturally introducing incentives of any way, of any sort. Let's say vacation time, as you mentioned, or um, performance bonuses. And there is, um, I think it was Dan Pink who popularized uh, what social science has to say on this matter. Uh, there is plenty of research, uh, particularly with the famous candle problem. Candle problem, it's really well known in social psychology experiments. When people are presented with a certain um, physical problem to tackle. If you Google candle problem, that we will see how this experiment runs. So basically what they did, the social scientists, they had three subgroups. Um, one subgroup was given no financial incentive to solve the problem. One group had five bucks incentive to solve the problem. And one group had 100 bucks to solve the problem. So the group who had incentive of 100 bucks performed the worst. The group with five bucks performed not bad, not good at all. And the group with no financial incentive performed the best. So essentially it shows us that when you have to come up with a solution a creative solution to a certain problem that you haven't witnessed before, you need to have no financial incentive and you need to be not demotivated by your financial status. So what Dan Pink put in his book Drive, he said that uh, money can demotivate and internal intrinsic motivation can motivate. So when managers focus on individual motivation, first what they do, they bluntly come up with incentives which always hurts because people can can feel unfairness as well. They might feel, oh, I've put more effort into work than this guy. And this guy got the bonus. Why? It's unfair. I won't do it again. So unfairness is a huge deal here. And then another very particular problem to motivation is that we are not rational people. We are not rational in our behavior in many cases. We, what psychologists call, we rationalize our behavior after we do it. So we do something and then we rationalize. So if you ask me, why, Vitaly, are you motivated by writing articles? I can tell you, well, I think I like it mm -hmm. for some reason. I just like it. But it might be the case that I was praised for writing the articles. Maybe I got good reviews to my articles, maybe something else. So now I'm just rationalizing why I particularly enjoy writing articles. So whenever a manager asks you, Chris, why do you like something? Do, are, you, are you motivated by growth? Are you motivated by challenge? Well, you can't properly say why, because you are just rationalizing your own behavior now. And we people are very complementary to systems. There is a, a huge body of research how people behave when they witness other, others behaving in a certain way. There is a very famous experiment in the lift where people synchronously but randomly rotate in the lift. And someone, the, the, the person who was under this experiment and who entered the lift, he started doing the same, just mimicking their behavior because he was thinking that they were doing something on purpose. So our behavior is very complementary to the system. So first, if a manager asks you, why are you motivated by something or are you motivated by something you cannot properly tell that's one thing but then maybe if you can even say that you are motivated by solving complex problems maybe you say that because the system motivated you so the system that everyone around you got you appreciate you have this appreciation from them so managers first design the system in a way 
that affects people. And then they ask people how they are motivated and with what they're motivated. So basically what social scientists are saying, you cannot get information, proper information on people motivation. You can only guess what they're motivated with. And then you try to, as a manager, if you focus on individual motivation, you try to reinforce or enforce certain behavior by stimulating people. It's broken on so many levels. So what happens in mob setting instead? You give people problems, small problems to solve, or they divide themselves, they, these problems themselves. Then they can experiment with new things. They are experimenting with new things every day. If you haven't touched SQL before, and you are being taught right now during the mob session how to write SQLs, and maybe you are just bedazzled. Oh my God, how look how great it works. I just ran a query and it, and it works well. Now you are motivated by learning more SQL because you've just tried a little small thing and you liked it. So mm -hmm. in this setting, you have more ways to actually experiment and slowly get out of your comfort zone of your status quo, slowly, very gradually. So this is, this is very good. And also a very interesting thing to note, there is in psychology so-called Yerkes-Dotson law. It says that there is a limit to performance increase with motivation. If you see good mob team, mob, mob people, um, what they are, they are calm. They are just doing their work normally. And Yerkes-Dotson law explains this, that if you are very motivated, you are just jumping around. You can't be tolerant to others. You are too motivated for this task. There is a certain limit to performance increase with the arousal increase. <clears throat> so you shouldn't have people jumping around. And another reason for that, because it is not sustainable. We are interested in constant work of, te of stable teams. We're not yeah. interested in people just disappearing out of burnout. So yeah, individual motivation is just, the, the whole concept is ridiculous. When managers focus on it, they just produce waste. Mm -hmm. And what's also interesting in terms of um, comparison of individual work and mob work is that conflicts are much rare in mob work. Why that? Oh, it's for me, it's just very peculiar. First, uh, we live in an era of alienation of work. If I produce a cable and give it to you, I can see how this cable helps you. I can tell myself, Vitaly, this cable is good for Chris. He likes it. I can see you use it. I rarely see my clients, the clients of the company I work for, Case, we produce a good TMS, but I rarely see them live using our TMS. I can only rely on their feedback. And you know for sure that people usually tend to provide more feedback when it's negative, when they are yeah. not happy. When they're happy, oh, okay, yeah, I pay you money, that's all right. So we <laughs> are alienated from the results of our work. And what have we got to do? We, we start associating the amount of effort with the results. If I've written my article, if I've been writing my article for a week, I dare you to call it bad. <laughs> <laughs> I will dislike it for sure, <laughs> this feedback. And this is what happens on code reviews. I've seen so many people having conflicts over code reviews. Yeah. Because I've been spending so much effort. It's all I've got. It's all my soul. It's all my energy. And now you're saying it's bad. No, it's you uh, arguing with me. It's you being a bad person. It's you disliking me for some strange reason. So if we work in a mob setting, our increment 
is 10-15 minutes. The amount of effort is not big. And you, if you, Chris, tell me, Vitaly, let's consider to pivot. Let's consider to change the way how this thing works. Okay, fine. It's only 15 minutes, right? I mean, it's coffee time anyway. It's not that big deal. And for yeah. me, it's much easier to accept that we can pivot now. Mm-hmm. So the amount of work-related conflicts in mob team is much lower. And if we have a look at hiring, which is another area that I call fully dysfunctional in most companies I've seen, <laughs> uh, mob hiring is so much better. I've tried yeah. it only a few times, and I just adore it. I think it's the way to hire people. Because what you have in hiring usually you have questions, you have almost an exam, which is not a good model. It will not represent how the person will work. If yeah. you ask someone who just studied the book from starts from A to Z, what do you know of HTTPS? All right, he'll just t- tell you everything he's just learned. Will it make him a good developer? No, for sure not. <laughs> so in hiring, we ask, oh, I, I love this even more. We have cultural fit interviews where we try to have proactive questions. What would you do in a certain situation? I have no idea. Seriously, I can tell you what I think you're, expect, you're expecting to hear, but does it resemble what, I will, what my behavior will be? I have no idea. And different cultures and different companies and different teams, they influence people so much. I've said it already. They influence people so much that my behavior in a previous company would be completely different from my behavior here. Mm-hmm. But instead, if I have mob session interview, I put the person in the scenario and in the setting where this person would actually work if they joined. Mm-hmm. In a calm setting where it is not only that person who is writing or navigating, but it is others too. So that person can see them failing too and not being too nervous seeing that others fail it is all right to fail we are here to support each other and to fail less i've i've done uh mob hiring just a few times and i'm saying this to everyone please yeah. folks try it out it's the best way of of working so uh so, can you can you elaborate on th- that yeah. process that you experience because oh, uh, sure. we, we do we do a mob a mob style uh mm-hmm. interview but mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe just the, get into the details yeah. there a little bit. Uh, so what I'm, what I'm saying to people uh, inside the company that I am trying to bring you a person that might that you might like or dislike. Mm-hmm. And by saying like or dislike, I mean both professionally and from the st- soft, sk- soft skill standpoint or from anything. Because I cannot dissect every single characteristic of a person um, and provide a proper model to validate. If I could, I would have AI startup doing hiring for everyone. <laughs> uh, but I can't. So I can only say that you as a team either going to like this person, you, wa- you will want to work with this person, or you won't. And the same I tell to that person. You're either going to like this team, you either want to join this team and work with them, or you won't. It's a mutual process, mutual interview anyway. And so then... I offer the team and the person a few problems to solve, and they pick the smallest one usually, hour, hour and a half, something, something, two, two hours max. And two hours cap is usually what I have before a short break or before a big break. 
So for people to work for a couple of hours, stops, and then they will have a proper break. So this is the setting that the people would work uh, on with the person being interviewed. Uh, usually I try to choose and cherry pick the real problem. So I don't provide a synthetic problem. I don't create a problem. I have a usual problem from our backlog because I want the person to see our product, how many tests we have, how bad our code is because every code is bad. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I want the person to not be impressed in a bad way, but to be properly impressed. Like, okay, this is the amount of challenge I can handle. These are the people I want to work, work with. And during two hours, if I have a small wob of three people, let's say, so front-end developer, back-end developer, and a product manager, we can have what's called in product development RAT, RAT. Uh, it's the risk assumption test. It's even smaller than MVP. So mob session works really well with RAT. We just create almost a prototype of what's we gonna of what we're gonna show to the client to get feedback from them. And these tasks usually have both backend and frontend and design work and, or any other work. And it's enough to see. No, it's not to see. It's enough to feel if this person is a good fit for the company or not. Because I do not hire for the company. I hire for the team. And the teams, they have a bit separate culture. Every team is different. Every single team is different. I do not believe in hiring for the company. It, well, again, it's my belief. I do not believe for hiring to the company. I believe for hiring for the team because uh, that team is stable and I want that team to prosper. So yeah, it's enough for two hours to work on a problem, to solve it with RAT approach um, to a certain artifact quality uh, to, 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 to discuss it then. So usually the whole interview takes just three hours. One just one interview. Maybe we'll have um, a recruiter talking to the client. In some companies, some companies that I consult have recruiters, some don't. I advise not to have any recruiters at all. I advise to work without them, <clears throat> to have less information loss in all those mm, queues of information flow. Um, so yeah, a few hours uh, and that's a good interview. And then we started this, we pivoted to this mm, thought from conflicts. So if I have mob hiring, the probability of a conflict is much lower compared to the scenario where I, an engineering manager, interviewing a person with uh, some other senior developer, and then bring that person to the team. They might dislike that person. The, the way how companies usually tackle this, they have a separate cultural fit interview. And in most cases with recruiters, I have no idea why. Recruiters don't work with this team. How would they know if the person going to fit in the team or not? So, yeah. And another thing that I like from a managerial standpoint uh, is no need for onboarding materials. There is just no need. Yeah. And this is so cool. I just love it because every documentation gets stale and obsolete really fast. Really, mm -hmm. really fast. So from one, stand one point of view, I just put the person in the team or the person just sits with the team and that person quickly adopts every bit of knowledge that the team has, both tacit and explicit. If the person lacks some explicit knowledge, books are almost free, right? You can purchase one for 30 bucks and study with the team if needed. That's a separate topic I want to cover later. But when we have a person coming to the team, we don't, we don't need any onboarding documents if the team works in a mob setting. 
it's just it's just awesome. And what's even more interesting is that I dislike having um, system administration tasks, not tasks, like accesses and all the administrative stuff. I dislike having them documented. I like when people, when the team sets the new joiner with all the accesses straight away. Because what I've seen many times, well, three times to be to be clear, uh, is that old people from the team, when they see how troublesome it is to set new joiners with access, they're just like, wow, why the hell are we having so much trouble setting new joiners? We need to redo it. So they get a fresh glimpse, fresh, fresh look from outside of the of, of, of their knowledge. Yeah. Telling them this is too complicated. Same goes with uh, I had the same with um, architecture uh, decisions with automated testing. It took a new joiner a week to understand how the architecture for the auto tests and how the lab works. And the um, QA engineer said, well, we can't tolerate that. We just used to having bad stuff. Let's rewrite it. Yeah. We mm -hmm. witnessed it's bad. The, uh, the uh, sharing the pain, I think, in the yeah. mob is uh, is pretty common <laughs> in a scenario. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So this might be a good uh, breaking point to kind of go mm -hmm. to the uh, uh, epistemological and pedagogical uh, aspects yeah. of mobbing. Uh, we actually came to this. We yeah. came to this in the onboarding yeah. phase. Uh, yeah. So epistemology is about knowledge. Yes. So it's a theory of knowledge. Um, so I have this thesis that software development is a process of acquiring knowledge and sharing with others. And the code is just a side effect artifact. Uh, we learn something of the world, of the client's problems, of us ourselves, of our limitations, of our constraints. And we combine all this knowledge in a strange way producing something, some minor artifact that provides clients with capabilities to solve their problems. We don't even solve their problems. We give them something which could help them solve problems. So can you see how many layers of abstraction we have here on the information? We have information of the world, the market, the pricing uh, models in the market, uh, the computers we operate, the everything else. So we have so much to learn about the world so much to learn about the client, so much to learn about ourselves. Can we do this task at all? It's the task of learning of something of ourselves. We, we need to understand if we can do it at all. And this whole operation of knowledge transfer is so big that we need to figure out how to make it simple. What I see in many companies is they have knowledge base, multiple knowledge bases, Notion, Slack channels for Q&A, something else, something else. It's like if you see, if you, if you, if you have a list of instruments or, or processes and tag them with knowledge management, you're going to have from 20 to 30 processes or instruments targeted just on knowledge management, a place for Q&A, a place for all hands, a time for all hands, something else, something else, something else, Slack, a Notion, Miro, something else just to handle knowledge and then you have versioning and then you have things getting obsolete and then you have people uh, assigned responsible for updating documents oh it's literally it's ridiculous if you calculate the amount of time and effort managers only managers spend 
on designing and maintaining those systems. Yeah. Uh, for uh, once, I had thirty percent of my managerial time spent on managing knowledge systems. Thirty percent, and I I've, I've never been paid uh, minor salary. I'm always well paid, so it's it's a significant amount of money wasted on that. With mm-hmm. mob uh, teams, what I what I saw, I was just frustrated. Like Vitaly, you don't need to have knowledge management anyway a- anymore. You just have your team. Yeah, and if they need to teach someone else then you only then you think do they actually need to extract the knowledge or can they invite those people in the team to work with them that's what happens with proper um, platform teams proper platform teams to me are those who teach others rather than write something that others can like perceive as message from god oh here it is good platform for us from those brilliant minds well no uh so yeah knowledge management is best done with people sharing knowledge and practicing it because uh you know uh, there is this concept in pedagogy that and in, in epistemology too that you learn only so much by reading then so much by practicing and then so much by teaching Mm-hmm. So you have to combine all these. You have to combine all these. And when I saw how well knowledge is automatically, inherently automatically managed in mob setting, I have actually started a first pedagogical project, a school for Java developers, where we used mob learning. So I've never read a book on mob learning when I started that. I just copy-pasted the approach from mob work (laughs) to mob learning. We started teaching each other. So I thought, if we are working together and if our work is knowledge transfer process all the time and acquiring and transferring, why can't we just learn stuff? And we started learning by doing. Those guys and girls, they didn't even know the difference between HTTP and TLS. Seriously, they they were just pre-junior. In two months, I would say they were very strong juniors. So eight hours a day, we were doing mob learning. We only had senior developer coming to us uh, for hour and a half or one hour a day to give us new tasks and to review what what we've done. Yeah, he did review what we've done and he advised us on mm, things to, to improve, whatever. But all we did, we did on our own. And... When I started this school, I didn't know Java at all. I haven't even touched it before. So I learned some Java with them too. So mob learning, I highly advise everyone to try it out. And now what I'm doing, now I have a group where I'm validating a hypothesis of um, constant ever-learning process of a small team of junior developers. I'm now uh, learning new front-end. I haven't touched front-end for seven years now so i'm have to relearn it so for two hours a week we gather on a call and we do mob learning and mob programming we've done css for our website it took us eight total eight hours so for uh for uh, 16 so 16 meetings no four meetings eight hours yeah uh, so we did css for our website we learned flex we learned grid layouts we learned something we try to explain each other something we don't understand we google together we show extreme vulnerability i'm 38 i've been doing it for 20 years and i'm showing the guys and girls 
I do not know anything about this. And this is so <laughs> valuable for them because I lead by showing vulner vulnerability. Yes. That's yes. the essence of trust. And that is what I love in mob. We can show our vulnerability with small increments. I can tell you, I don't know how um, cursor function works in SQL. And you say, well, okay, but you know SQL, that's all right. I'll explain you how cursor function works. And we proceed. You can tell me, Vitaly, I don't know how this stuff works. And I tell you about that. And we gain more and more trust showing vulnerability. And this is what managers want from teams. They want trust in teams. Every single job description says autonomy and trust. We want yeah. people to trust each other. We want people to have autonomy. And yet, and yet we don't have it. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and maybe that's a might be a good transition to our last topic. Yep. But uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm very inspired by what you're saying. And um, you are in many ways uh, preaching uh, to the choir for me personally with uh, mm -hmm. onboarding and knowledge management because mm -hmm. um, I've I've noticed that even with people that do mob, there's mm -hmm. this tendency to be like, oh, well, where is it documented? Where, you know, yeah. like, and... Mm -hmm. um, for me, I'm just kind of like, oh, I'll just pull in the person who knows the most about it and uh, we'll mob with them and we'll figure it out. Um, and so it, it could be in a mob setting or not even in a mob setting. I guess one question I have before we transition is uh, if you're in that scenario where someone is tempted to rely on documentation, mm -hmm. how do you how do you respond to that? How do you coach that? Do you address it directly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or do you, is it more soft? Like, you know, um, how, how do you address that when you come across it? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, usually what I see is that people mm -hmm. tend to rely on documentation because it's much easier for them and safer for them ask the question to the documentation. Why it <laughs> happens in most cases because people are utilized for 100%. So you can't just approach the senior developer and ask them how to do stuff, right? He's so busy. He's busy with all the tasks, with a very complicated task, and you as a junior can't even comprehend how hard his tasks are. So you tend to rely on documentation. Uh, it's just our habit that I would say is provoked by usual dysfunction of team processes. So when I see a person who tends to read a lot of documentation, I, I try to talk to this person and understand the rationale. So if the question is about our system. I would just sit with this person and work with them on the problem. If it's mm -hmm. an individual work, I would just work with them on the problem. I would tell the person that I know this system much better than the docs. If you want, you can update the docs when we finished, but I'm sure I know the system better. Let me just show you. And then when that person sits and starts writing the doc, I tell them, well, actually, do you, do you want to write that? You see how obsolete it was when you approach the docs he, he <laughs> says yeah i'm telling him well then maybe in a month's time when we update our system what you're writing now will become obsolete why can't you just say in that doc contact me when you need help yeah <laughs> and then that person says yeah contact me i know I, i've just touched this here's the link to the commit by the way if you want to have a look uh, just contact me and then when that person is contacted I must ensure that that person has enough time because okay. that's the most that's the the most complicated stuff for most managers. Most managers want to utilize people. That's ridiculous. The theory of constraints talks a lot about this dysfunction that we need to optimize for the value, not for the effort. <clears throat> 
And so, yeah, if the person has enough time, if the person is well rested, then the person will help. And by the way, this is when mob shines even even brighter because you instantly see you cannot conceal if you're tired you instantly see if the person is tired <laughs> if the person has issues at home you can say well um uh, ivan just go home right i mean i know you're tired you're not going to be productive anyway why bother go home yeah. have rest yeah. yeah 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 exactly okay cool yeah no that that really helps a lot and i think you're right i, I definitely have seen that where uh it's that icebreaker of um, getting, you know, starting the communication with that other person, mm -hmm. you know, and I mm -hmm. think that that is a big wall for me, mm -hmm. for many. And uh, I definitely see that we are getting a little close on time. Yeah. Uh, but before we close out officially, mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you want to give, you know, your soundbite on because uh, you're kind of hinting at it at the end of one of the things you're saying, the ethics and management and yeah. engineering. Uh, you want to give your oh, yeah. soundbite on that before we close? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I love what doctors have in terms of ethics they have ethical they've been having this ethical code for 4.5 millennia i think um, where they say do no harm do good so uh you a doctor would never prescribe you a poison if you tell them that you're having such a severe headache you want a poison right but if a manager's manager tells you as a developer well skip the testing let's go to production you're like, mm, okay, right, fine, let's do it. And then a year later, you're sitting looking at the code and saying, how the hell did we come up to this situation? So to every single manager and developer I mentor, I tell them, try to understand what you want to, whom you want to become. What is your ethics? That's uh, very easy. Like for, you, you can even copy what doctors have, or you can you can use Kant's methodological uh, categorical imperative, like treat others as you want everyone to treat everyone uh, so do you want to go and approach your manager and tell them hi don't go to that meeting it's bollocks don't go there no you won't right so why do you allow them to do the same way with you why do you allow people to tell you how to work if you know how to work much better than them so i think that having these ethics leads to a better life uh, in Greek, they have this word eudaimonia, happy life, when you pursue what you love in a good way. So I feel that when I have developed my own ethics, that I do not betray my employees, I do not lay off my employees, I do not do this, I do not do that, I do no harm, I do good for the employees and for the clients. My employees start trusting me. Same goes for my colleagues. They trust me that I help them. And they will help me in return. And this is part of my ethics. And it's the same with me trusting them to take more time on writing something. Because they feel that if they do not write it properly, that will, it will hurt our clients. Like uh, with, with our product, uh, if, if we look for reviews on G2 or whatever, what people usually say is that great UX, great UI. I like it. And I think that whenever... Anyone in the team come up comes up with a proposal to build a small feature, but with bad UI, I tell them no. I think we must not lose our reputation. I think, and it's not only about money, it's also about ethics. I say, and I think, and I feel that our product needs to make people's life better, engineers' lives better. And in order to achieve that, 
I must behave in a certain way. I must tell the managers to stop doing stuff which can be harmful. I must help my fellow colleagues to do proper coding, to solve problems properly. And if I see that there is new practice like mobbing, which can help the team, I go and vote for it. I go and uh, preach it. Uh, for example, my first three months in my company, we ditched Scrum in favor of proper flow with Kanban. I was a big proponent of that change. I was just advocating for it. I was just <laughs> giving hard time to everyone because I felt that people needed to try it out. And they trusted me and it went really, really well. And that's, that's the part of my ethics. I strongly recommend everyone to think whom they want to be. And from that to be modal, you can understand what behavior brings you closer to that state. Committing to orders from managers, um, even if they are harmful, potentially won't bring you to that state. But committing to produce good value or problem-solving capabilities to the client might bring you to that state. But again, it's very personal. Every like some people even go for and go work for um, darknet, right? Like for me, it's it's ridiculous. But some people do it. It's their ethics. So I, I would say that everyone needs to develop their own. Right on, right on. Wow, wow. Thank you for, uh, <laughs> we can we can feel the passion and love it. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> fantastic. You. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I have a lot of great notes and inspiration from this mm -hmm. conversation. I'm really digging it. Um, and uh, before uh, we close out the episode, because we are hitting our time box, mm -hmm. is there anything you'd like to share a plug before we do so? Uh, oh yeah, I've got so many books. I, I love books. I think we are forgetting that books are great. Well, most of them. No, not really most. Some of them. Some books are great, especially those from those scientific books that were written till 1980s, let's say. After 1980s, we have a huge replication crisis in many uh, sciences. But yeah, before that, so many books were written really well. I love them. I read the last book I've read on engineering, on engineering and architecture was written in 1969. And I'm like, wow. Seriously, we have all those issues now. We're solving them in a, in a bad way. That book for 50 years or 70 years ago was written and it provides you with all the possible ways to solve the problems that we have now. So yeah, I love books. I strongly advocate people to read more books. We've got, we are standing on the shoulders of giants. We have so much to study and learn. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, so we'll... Yeah, we'll definitely put some in the show notes. So check that yeah. out, everyone. And uh, Vitaly, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your passion with us. Uh, Super cool. To our audience, uh, you know, if you uh, you know loved hearing about the manager aspects of mobbing yeah. and uh, the epistemology and knowledge systems and how ethics play into our everyday uh, part of software and product development, um, yeah, please share this episode with someone else. We'd love to hear your thoughts on these topics. Um and uh, how you handle uh, knowledge management and ethics and um, yeah, how uh, <clears throat> you perceive management as individualistic or systematic or, or what. We just love to hear what you think on uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and more. Uh, and uh, until next time, uh, have a good one, everybody. And thank you so much. Talk to you later. Bye, thank everybody. you. Thank you.